One of the keys to giving children educational success is being a warm, responsive parent. Simply by being present, we provide a rich and nourishing environment for exploration and learning. I'm Rachel Winchester, and you're listening to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. In this episode, we hear from David Arroyo on how his family decided to homeschool and went all in. As David says, they didn't half-step it. And their family has reaped rich rewards for taking a leap of faith in homeschooling. Listen in. So, you know, you take your fathering relationship and responsibility really, really seriously. And for some of our listeners who've heard Vidal and Luciano being interviewed, um, the boys talk about how you and Alicia are their best friends, that you talk about everything, that you talk to each other every day, even if they're in um, Oxford or, you know, wherever. Tell me a little bit about your fathering uh, approach and and why this is so central to your life. Mm, Okay, so so when when I was a kid, especially when I could remember, you know, my father being a military man for 27 years, my father was, he was a big figure in my life. Now, having said that, he wasn't the nurturing kind. He was old school. You know, it was, he taught me what a work ethic was and grit um, and stuff like this. But when I found out later when my oldest son Vidal was born and I was married and I went back to Spain, spent some time with my grandma, my uncles, my aunts, my aunt remembers me holding Vidal when he was one years old. Like really just holding him, carrying him everywhere we would go walking on the trails and the city. And my aunt made a comment to my wife and said, he's just like his father. And I and I and later when my wife told me, I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, I don't remember my dad being my dad was uh, like a tough guy. Like, you know, but I guess when I was younger, my dad was very affectionate. But as I got older, even to the point that I don't remember, maybe in middle school, even probably elementary my dad always treated me like a little man, you know. He would always, you know, um, give me respect in that sense, you know, and, and, and stuff. And, and didn't, oh, he's a little boy, I'm just going to take it. No, you're, you're, you're a little boy, you're going to work an ethic. And, you know, he showed it in that way, you know, with that. And so with that, I, maybe that's where a lot of my raising my kids, I just by naturally, I would just, uh, you know, want to raise them to like, be hard workers, yeah. be faithful, you know, don't complain, you know, and things like this. Um, but my father-in-law, when he came into my life, when I married my wife, he was more than a father-in-law. I know when people say father-in-law, sometimes it's almost like a bad word, <laughs> you know. I can tell you I knew my in-laws or my, 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 my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, even my father-in-law. I knew them before I ever met my wife, which is crazy. My father-in-law, actually, when I was 17 years old, he came out to Scotland and produced a, a record and music of my best friend, Shane, Shane Reese, the middle son of Raul Reese. And he lived with us. I mean, he came out. He lived like animals with us. He could have went to a nice hotel and, you know, been taken care of. But he literally lived in this run-down Glasgow apartment that you had to light a candle just to go to the restroom because there was no light leaking. I mean, it was a disaster of a place. I mean, we were 17, you know. What could you afford, you know? But he literally came in. And later on, my, my kids call him 
Ito, which is for the word. It was Vidal named him. It was his nickname. It was named for Abuelito, which is, you know, grandfather in Spanish. So they called him Ito, Ito, Ito. That was, you know, I-T-O, Ito. I never called him Ito because he wasn't my, my grandfather. I called him Don Chicho. And why I call him Chicho is because um, I had a friend. He was a, a Sicilian guy, and he'd always call me Chicho. And Chicho just means it's an endearing, like, little brother. Uh-huh. And I call, I always call my father-in-law Don Chicho. Why? Because he was, he was a friend. Mm-hmm. He was an older, bigger brother to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew him since I was 16, 17. Also, you know, my, my, my best friend's family, um, Sharon and Raul Reese, they were also a family to me, you know. Um, when I was broken, many times I would go home um, and not be eating by myself as a 16-year-old kid. But they would invite me, do you want to stay for dinner? And I'd say, oh, no, my parents, they're, they're waiting for me, which was a complete lie because I felt, you know, I didn't want to tell them that I was by myself and stuff. But they they would always, hey, you know what, you're here anyways. Just sit down, just eat. And they would always, you know, do that. And, and I can't tell you, just their presence in my life had a big impact when I met my father-in-law. That had another impact for me to be able to, you know, just really see. I mean, when you have a father-in-law, there's no filters. You're at every holiday. You're right. this and then that. And trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm a very stubborn person, you know. But I can tell you my father-in-law, he's an amazing man. And I learned a lot. And my, my kids learned a lot. So I have to say every time, no matter, even when I was, you know, working in this company for 23 years and talking about business and stuff, that was all great. That was, you know, they felt great that, oh, you know, my, my, my son-in-law is providing for my daughter. But really what they always was, everything would always be, well, how is your relationship? How is Jesus? It was always about Jesus. And my father-in-law was an amazing, amazing servant that I literally, he was to me what the epitome of a servant leader was. Pure, like bringing people to the throne of God with his music, with his talents, you know, uh, being a musician and it was for him it was always about not him on the stage but performing but really bringing people to purely worship jesus and it wasn't about him he was the most humble guy and and you're gonna just take my opinion my musician friends are i mean you know they're also musicians they were really also like he was a mentor to a lot of people you know and stuff and so um with that i mean i had i had a great even though i didn't have the best um you know uh experience as a family when my parents got divorced you know my father was loving but he showed in a different way he grew up in a different era you know um his father was very tough on him you know very very tough um but you know it was just i guess those affections but i think my dad at one point was like right now you're a boy one day you're going to be a man and i think that always kind of stuck with me like today my kids are small but tomorrow they're going to be men Mm -hmm. so i have to start the training now yes you know yes and i think there's a quote somewhere that somebody said um i'd rather be present in my kids now so that someone else doesn't have to be later later mm. you know and stuff because yes. you know a lot of times you know people they think okay you know you grew up in a christian home or whatever and you just you're gonna go to the the youth bible study and you're all good and everything but the problem is is like a lot of times they're just fixing kids but they can't fix the kids because at the end of the day it's it's just being present in your kids lives and so i just for me maybe it was that void of when my 
my my parents got divorced and my dad had to hustle so he wasn't really present in my life in that point you know and so i just it always kind of stuck with me that being by myself that lonely that i always said lord i never imagined having a family by the way i never thought I would ever be worthy or who would ever want to marry me, you know, and stuff. But um, <laughs> to be honest with you, you know, I w- I've been looking for a wife since I think I was 15 or 16 years old. <laughs> but my wife avoided me like the plague, you know, because she was on a mission to just serve the Lord and go to the mission field. But when I proposed to her and she was 21, I was 22, she never made it to the mission field. God had a different plans for our mission field. But my father-in-law was a big impact to me of really being present. Yes. And I can tell you, my kids are very musical. Um, Vidal plays a guitar. He plays the bass. He writes songs. Um, he was the first grandson of, of, of my father-in-law. And then my son, Luciano, he's the little percussionist. Um, he's rhythmically very well gifted. You know, and that's it helps definitely with his wrestling, <laughs> yeah. as Stanford can attest for that. You know, and, and Joaquin, he's, you know, we always said he was going to be a professional hacker. Because he was always just, you know, exposed to technology and we thought, oh, he's going to be smart. But till later we found out, no, it was, it's not smart and it's actually not good for him. But, you know, uh, since we homeschooled with you and started going through um, your, you know, what, what you um, uh, suggest in classical reading and stuff, literally all of us, we as a family, we made a decision. Because I always told my kids before, in life, there's either sacrifice or there's regrets. You got to pick. You can just say, ah, I'm going to take it easy, whatever. You're going to have a lot of regrets. Or you're going to just roll up your sleeve, do the hard work, and it's going to help you for your next chapter of whatever you do. And so I remember at the time, during that time, I told Luciano, or I asked Luciano, Luciano, what do you want to do with your life? I'm like 40-something, and I'm literally at a crossroad. I just... You know, I've been working for a company for 23 years. I'm starting from ground zero. What? I don't even know what to do. And he says, Dad, I want to wrestle for the Olympics. That's my dream goal. And that's what I want to do. And I said, son, I believe you can do it. But the chances that you will accomplish that probably will not happen. Why? Because there's too many distractions. There's too much pulling from social media, from just all the distractions of video games and technology and the music videos and everything else. But I said, if you are serious, we will find a way to do that. And then that's when we we got your, your podcast. And we literally stopped thinking in the box. And we said... No more thinking in the box. There is no box. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So. Yes. Typically, high school is when people begin to look for the exit sign. It doesn't have to be that way. On July 15th, my son JJ and I will be doing an all-day webinar entitled, Begin with the End in Mind. Many dads have told me that this is their favorite seminar. It's practical, research-based, and will encourage you to stay the course and not give up. JJ and I will be talking about how to navigate upper-level math and sciences, foreign languages, work and service, and most importantly, how to make great books the core of your teen's education. JJ and his wife, Kristen, are currently homeschooling four children, including a 14-year-old, so they understand your concerns. 
We'll be talking about socialization, sports, and pursuing your child's interests under your supervision. College and trade school prep, resumes and transcripts will all be discussed. As you can tell by the seminar's title, we want you to begin with the end in mind, which means it is vitally important that you hear this information repeatedly from the toddler years until your children are driving. This seminar will cast the long vision so you know where you're headed. Grab your spouse and your teens and join us on Saturday, July 15th from 9 to 5 Central Time. You don't want to miss this. Click the show notes to register. Now back to the show. So what did you, you said you had a very highly technological home. Yes. You raised your kids with a lot of technology. What changed? So basically, uh, you know, we had three, like I said, we had three PlayStations. We had a TV in every room. Our kids uh, had all kinds of devices. The company that I worked for, um, they did collaborations with um, different companies that make video games, especially for skateboarding and stuff. So we would get, you know, free PlayStation. Sometimes we'd get free games. So I was always thinking, how's my kids? How am I going to help my kids get ahead? Whoa, well, they got to they gotta be able to know how to navigate on the Apple computer. They got to be able to be savvy and stuff. But what changed is when we got your... Seminar. Your your seminar because the digital invasion kind of exposed all the problems, but it didn't tell us like what's next. What do we do? Like okay, now we know there's a ferocious lion in our living room. How, what do we do to tame that or do whatever? You know, I think you came up with the podcast right with that. Yeah, which is amazing we, that you yeah, said so that. We just it's so funny when we did it the three day I mean a three hour seminar whatever it was. Yeah. we called it. I prayed about the title <laughs> and the Lord said. He gave me a picture of a of a lion tamer wow. with a chair and a whip. Wow. And he said, call it Taming the Media Lion. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So so that's basically what we, what we had. We were I, I thought it would be a disadvantage not to have my kids be tech savvy and have a computers and stuff. And so what changed is when we after we listened to that or, or listened to your seminar, it was literally you were just you were just completing that chapter of we have this ferocious lion in our living room. What do we do now? You know, we can't just be monks, <laughs> you know, tomorrow. I don't think that works in California, yeah. you know, to be successful or whatever. Yeah. But we literally we started listening to everything that you were saying. And it was just it was just reaffirming what we needed to do. I never thought in our wildest dreams that. You know, our kids would be at Oxford, Stanford, um, and all those things at all. It was never even the goal. I've always, I've always told my kids, whatever you do in this life, I'm not going to tell you be a doctor, be a lawyer, any of that stuff. This is your life. You have one life that God's given you. You have purpose. You have gifts. You have talents. And you have to figure out what has God called you to do and to do your best. You may not be in the church environment or the ministries or whatever you may be in the world but that's sometimes where your light can shine the most you know and i and i just learned that from just my travels in asia you know and the pressures that i would get you know to do business in asia you have to drink a lot to be able to you know uh get favor for these factories to want to work with you because they want to test your manhood they want to know can i trust you and so for me when i would go to asia i would be like lord i am not going to compromise for anybody but i am here to do business so how am i going to do it and so 
God showed me, you know, from their beautiful culture in China, they really look up to like discipline, training your mind, disciplining yourself with martial arts, especially Kung Fu. You know, the monks would dedicate themselves. They wanted to be peaceful people and, and stuff like this and protectors and stuff. So when I went to China and they wanted me to drink, I just said, no, I don't. And I knew right away when I said that, like I could just see them like get already get offended like this guy we're not going to do any business with this guy and i said no because i do chinese kung fu and i want to be in the best shape and the best life. and from there it went from they they just they just became so prideful of like we love chinese i'm you know we love that this westerner loves our culture and so god showed me a different way to be able to you know uh be common and in the sense of like like paul says right be all things all men so i was like okay how do i they don't understand you know for the most part in mainland china they had no concept of who Elvis Presley was, less alone Jesus or, you know what I mean? It's so foreign to them. So God showed me, you know, there's going to be places that you can't say anything other than you let your light shine the way you do business, the way that you present yourself, the way you're respectful to people. Even if you don't want to drink, how do you still respect their culture without compromising? And so, um, so yeah, so that's where that martial arts kind of came in. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what changed in your boys' lives when you started homeschooling? What were the changes that you made intentionally, you and Alicia? So one of the things, and, you know, you, you said it in your, your seminars, and we would hear it. And honestly, after reading that book, too, I mean, everything you were saying, it, it was almost like the part A is there's a problem, there's a lion, and now part B, this is what you need to do. I mean, we, I can tell you, we did not have step it in the sense half step it. half step doing the homeschool okay. you know because for us it was like okay and you said it you said it very openly very upfront your biggest challenge is going to be that 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 white noise in your room or in in the rooms and we had you know tvs in every room and literally it was a family thing i said look we're not going to half step this if we're going to do this um, we got to do it all the way. We want God's blessings, you know. And so with that, um, it, it took a little faith, to be honest with you. Because, you know, I know a lot of times you think, oh, okay, you know, she's saying this. But, you know, we just kind of, timid, you know, you can't. Like you said, it's a crazy, ravishing lion. You can't tame a lion. You can't, you know, hug it and think it's going to be nice to you. It's not. It's going to have you for dinner or lunch. <laughs> so, So literally, like, we came home and it was like, all right, kids, grab our TVs, grab the PlayStations. I mean, we literally, we sold them wherever we could sell them at the GameStops or wherever. Right. And we literally just started going to the, the libraries, buying used books to build our libraries. Yeah. <laughs> because there's there was, a, you know, a shortage of, and not a shortage, but people don't value the classics. So we're buying these amazing books from the 50s and 40s and 30s for a dollar because it's just like, these are relics. We don't know what these are. We just put it on our computer. So so that was something that, you know, I told my kids, like, you know, if we're going to do this, we got to do it all the way. Also, probably, too, because I didn't feel so qualified that I said, if we fail, it's going to be on me because I'm already a GED graduate. And you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, right. what are we going to do? Um, so, so that's basically what, what, what um, we, didn't, we weren't going to half step it. We said, okay, we're going all the way. We're going to do it. And so what I saw, I saw a lot of things change. I mean, Luciano, he was a very popular kid, especially in middle school. And I always knew 
because I had friends that were very popular, um, you know, very, very popular in school and stuff, in middle school, you know, before. And, and I realized that there's a different kind of pressure because you're cool, but you got to keep being cool. And so you actually end up compromising a lot just to be cool. You know what I mean? So I always knew Lucci would have a different kind of pressure. Vidal, he didn't care. Vidal, he he beat to his own drum. Like, yeah. he did not care. Joaquin, same thing. He's just like... He's stubborn in his own way. He doesn't want to do anything unless he wants to do it, you know, which is a good trait, you know. I think a lot of our bad traits can be a good trait if it's used for the right way, right? So um, so with that, with Luciano, um, he, he also, I mean, he was on board. He, he had goals to to try to, you know, go to the Olympics. He's still in that pursuit. We don't know what's going to happen, but it doesn't matter because it's at the end of the day, it's God's favor where these kids are going to do but we have to do our best and be present to be able to to do that vidal when he was young he would say dad i you know i'm thinking about college and i remember telling vidal when he was in middle school son if you ever go to college it will not be because daddy pays for it why because i had too many people that i knew in different places and even you know the east coast west coast or west coast um i said when you when you go because your daddy or your mommy's paying for it you're not like that's why these kids are partying in universities because there's just like well my mom's paying or my dad no ownership there's no skin in the game and i said son even if i had the money you're probably gonna have to figure out how to do it on some kind of scholarship because of your own thing now i thought at that time that was that's kind of what a a poor daddy says because why poor daddy's like oh you know you know whatever actually it's a rich daddy's mind mentality because the rich daddy knows that you don't value anything unless you put skin in the game and stuff and so with that Vidal already had that in his mindset um but when I lost my job after 23 years that's the year that Vidal graduated and I think that's where he was like well if I go to college it's definitely now going to be me because there, you know, we, we weren't in a place to even help him buy a car, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because it was, it, was, it was just that tough. that tough time, you know, 10 years ago. And so Vidal was a commuter. And Vidal, every day, uh, he was a smart kid, but he was also, like he'll tell you, he didn't really apply himself. And he went to a good school here in Orange County, but he looks back now and going, Dad, I could have did so much more Aww. in high school, you know. So when he got accepted to Chapman University... He literally was like, Dad, I'm not taking nothing for granted. I'm putting 100% skin in the game. And he did. I mean, he was Chapman's first Rhodes Scholar. and But I can tell you this. He had amazing professors and people that believed in him. And I think that, whether being a father figure or not, I know that my father, but even my father-in-law, they, they believed in me, even you know, with my background and, and, and everything, the power of believing in somebody, you know, believing that you can do something great. You just you just don't know that you can do that, mm-hmm. you know. And so Vidal had great mentors to do that. And so, yeah, so they didn't we didn't have step it. We literally as crazy as it sounds when we you tell us throwing the TV out and everything. We're like, there is no plan B, you know. And <laughs> and so, you know, for us, it was never the goal of, oh, we're going to. Our kids are going to go to Ivy Leagues and stuff. It was just, we're going to do the best unto the Lord. And, of course, as we started to do it, 
I mean, we just already saw just eating together as a family. Um, there's st- statistics that talk about this, that the risk of youth and stuff, just by having one meal with your yes. family yes. and how many families, even in California, like only get two meals, don't even have meals with their family. I know that because I experienced that. Right. You know, I, I was a very close family and my parents get divorced and all of a sudden I'm having dinners by myself, you know, yeah. and it's uh, this is the norm for a lot of people and, and stuff. So, um, yeah, so we, we didn't we didn't look back. We, we, we honestly look back now and going like, wow, this is crazy. We, we had more faith than we ever thought could ever happen, you know, but we just enjoyed you know, just these conversations. And my wife, at the beginning, she was the one that was more present at home because of her job. Um, at that time, uh, I then started working um, with the nonprofit organization, um, which I would, you know, it would take me away from being home. I was, you know, it, it was like a three-hour commute every day. And so when my two oldest boys, years later, when they graduated and moved out, I think this is where I was two years ago, where I just said, Lord, I got two more kids Joaquin and Paloma, I want to be present. And so something I really prayed about, and I just, I felt like God telling me, like, when are you going to have faith and trust me? I want to do great things in your life, too. You have a purpose. And like my oldest son, Vidal, mentioned, because he says, Dad, growing up, you always told us we could do anything. And you know what? We believed it, and we just acted upon it. (laughs) And he challenged me. This is a great thing about the relationship we developed homeschooling. And as a family, everything we kind of went through was it all worked for good, bringing us together. My oldest son, Vidal, says, Dad, when are you going to believe those things? And it just hit to the core. And then I was like, Lord, what do I do? You know, (laughs) and I felt like God's telling me the just shall live by faith. And it's impossible to please me without faith. And so two years ago, I stepped out and said, "Okay, Lord, what do you have for me and my family? You know, and Paloma's here. Joaquin is still here. It's his last year as a high schooler. It was the best thing ever. You know, it's been a, a definitely a walk of, of faith, but God is faithful when he called you to do that. And I just, the, the, the things that we've been able to do, even in this last two years, I know a lot of families have experienced what I experienced eight years ago. And so it's crazy, you know, when uh, all this all this stuff, you know, people go through and stuff. But, yeah, it was that journey of just being able to be present, you know, and it was the greatest thing ever. And so with that, I I always, you know, tell people, like, you don't have to be the smartest person. You know what I mean? You just have to be able to have faith, step out there, trust the Lord. But I think a lot of times as men, as fathers, we feel inadequate. We feel like, no, no, homeschooling is, is for the mom. Well, we've reversed roles. My wife started the homeschooling. Now I'm actively, because I'm you know, doing my own businesses at home and stuff, I'm actively home where I'm able to be with my kids, with the two of them. And it's amazing. I mean, how much we're learning together and realizing that learning doesn't stop when you get a degree. Learning is forever if you want to be a student, you know, in this life. And, you know, we've always grown up saying, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks that's a lie you can (laughs) you can yes yes well and i know so you you started 
um, a uh, footwear company. You're working with people in Asia, so they're asleep while you're awake. And so it gives you a real flexibility with being with the kids, even though you're running a business and you've got partners around the country. But But your sons really challenged you to take that step. And now you are ministering to them with your presence. The boys told me that they talk to you every day, every day. Yeah, we're you know we were lucky when Vidal went to Oxford for two years. Um, our 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 cell phone provider. If you pay ten dollars a month, it's limitless. <laughs> Trust me, I took advantage. I think maybe their stocks might have went down from my usage, but I literally must have been calling Vidal at least minimum every other day. Not that I was you know checking on him. checking and no, everything. No. It's literally. It's like the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. Um, I have to say, having the experience of homeschooling based on classical literature, throwing out the technology, throwing out the lion. Like, we don't even want to tame them. Like, we want them in the zoo. We don't want them in our living room. And so we literally, um, we literally, I mean, just developed this beautiful relationship, you know, with my, with all of our kids where we are able to be in each other's lives and stuff. And it's amazing when Lucci came out uh, one of the summers. I think it was his first summer. I mean, we I think we had half of the Stanford wrestling team at our house, you know. But it was amazing. I told Lucci, any one of your friends, like they're always welcome. Always feel that this is your home and stuff. And and it, it's amazing because like you know, they, you have this relationship, you know. That's right. And so um, it's not just me checking on them. They're also like we we, we encourage each other, you know. We. Um, you know, as I've learned from Lucci, I, the way I look at it, um, I've been able to get some some education from Oxford and Stanford personally because <laughs> my kids share. Dad, I'm learning about this. I'm like, oh, okay. What? Who's the author? Wait, what's what's that book? I need to <laughs> I need to learn. I need to read that. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. so, even I think Stanford um, uh, a year ago at their summer program, Lucci was there doing a summer job, yep. and he was basically around top executives. I think normally they have a, a 200 or 200 plus people every year that sign up for this program. It's a crazy program. The amount of money that you pay for for eight weeks is just crazy. But it's basically people that are running multi-million dollar companies looking to be billion dollar yeah, companies. Yeah. And it's amazing because Lucci would send me things. Dad, they're talking about if you want a thriving company, if you want to be like successful – learn to serve your people and i was just like oh my gosh this sounds like ministry like (laughs) this is what they're teaching at stanford like you want to be you know you want to be a successful company learn to build a, a, a culture that encourages people that basically uh you know you're there to serve people and i think a lot of times we think the top boss is you know everybody's supposed to serve him but really what makes those companies those companies that choose that kind of leadership is it starts from the servant leader like what chuck smith always displayed right and taught all the calvary chapel pastors like you know between his sermons or services on sunday if the toilets got clogged up he was the first one there rolling up his sleeves unplugging the toilet and it wasn't because any he just god taught him that if you want to serve my people serve them with excellence Mm -hmm. and so with that um i've been able to really like learn from my kids and they've inspired me to like step out and yeah me and luciano um we we talk about it all the time he wants to do an mba but a jd mba we always talk about 
explain what that is. Yeah, I th- uh, <laughs> JD, from my understanding, is a law degree, yes. an MBA. Yes, and then the, the MBA is the business, right? The business degree and stuff. And so, he and me, we always dream about like how can we we want to make our own footwear brand we want to be able to you know just do something i mean there's a lot of brands that have done great products but they're not even putting they're not even bringing great things about the work ethic and cultures it's always you know what i mean and and so with that we want to do we want to do some brands that we can be proud to inspire people to like have grit and have determinations have dreams you know um and just there's this guy his name is kylan moore he was the first road scholar from compton yes and he basically vidal reached out to him just randomly because vidal was trying to talk to anybody that was ever a road scholar because when he was trying to apply and the interview he wanted to know like what what's the expectations what do i need to like try to learn because chapman never even had a finalist so it's not like the harvards the stanfords every year they have a a finalist uh, you know so so with that vidal was going out of his box and thinking outside the box saying well i'm going to just randomly reach out to people and see if they wouldn't mind asking questions because he didn't know if he had to study for it or whatever and it's beautiful because all the feedback he would get from everybody is you know what vidal it's not the what you say the right thing just be yourself and and so Vidal really took that to heart, be myself. But this Kylan Moore, he wrote this book called A Dream Too Big. Yes. And this, I love this book. <laughs> and it was amazing. And his story, too, is his mom basically taught him from a young age to love reading books. And, you know, you got to have to get the book because I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> give it. Yeah, ruin it. Um, but basically what was amazing about it was that. He says that if your dream doesn't scare you, then you're not dreaming the right dream. And so that kind of like, whoa, Lord, because, you know, we want to, ah, Lord, you know, maybe this is a little too big or I don't know. This is too big of a dream. This is crazy. Why? Why should I be doing this or stuff like that? But I think that's where God wants us to step out. Doesn't mean we're going to accomplish that dream. Lucci may not ever be Olympian or maybe he will. That's up to God to decide because we don't want nothing that the Lord doesn't want for us, Amen. you know? And so with that, it was always just, okay, well, we got to dream big because God is the same God that split the Red Sea. He's the same God that just did so many things. Use a little David to kill Goliath. Like, this is ridiculous. And martial <laughs> arts, they would be like, run as fast as you can. Like, <laughs> you, what are you doing? That makes no sense, <laughs> you know? Yes. And so with that, um, it was more just challenging us to to step out by faith because ultimately it's not up to us what the results are it's just the process of doing your best and god will he'll commit the rest he'll commit the rest That's and it. and with that so wow yeah <laughs> david this has been so fun well would you pray for the dads yes, that absolutely. might be listening to this yes <clears throat> dear jesus lord we just thank you so much lord and lord i just even pray lord whoever's going to hear this father and needs to hear um whatever out of this father to know lord it doesn't matter lord what our background is uh educated non-educated lord that father you are a personal father you're a loving father lord and lord we as fathers as husbands lord we are just a small little example to be in our families to be present and how lord um, our kids lord that you've created every single one of them for their purpose lord and even as fathers we may not know what is intended for our kids 
But Lord, we're just there to just be present. And I just pray, Father, Lord, that these fathers that are listening or soon to be fathers, Lord, would know, Lord, um, it's not about, Lord, your qualifications because, Lord, you qualify the call. If you put a call in our lives, Lord, we don't need to uh, second guess if we're qualified. Lord, obviously, none of us are qualified to do anything great in this life without you, Lord Jesus, that gives us the gifts, the talents. And Lord, at the end of the day, everything that you give us, Lord, is meant to be given and glorified to you. Because Lord, one day when we finish this life, it doesn't matter all the crowns we may obtain or in the pursuit because all those things will mean nothing to us because we will lay them down at your feet and pure worship, Lord, because the, the crowns, the mansions in heaven, all those things will not be our focus. Our focus will be that we stand in front and kneel before the great I am that created us. And so I pray, Father, Lord, that, Lord, that this uh, just this story, Lord, would just inspire Lord, fathers, Lord, to be fearless, to trust you, to have faith, to know that, Lord, if you are calling them, you will qualify them. You will provide. You will do miraculous things in their lives. And, Father, you're just looking for a willing heart, just like Chuck said. Lord, here I am. What can, what can I do, Lord? Here I am. Whatever you want to do in my life. I pray that fathers would be encouraged to know the best thing that they can do, Father, is just be present, Father, and to learn with their kids. It's not about, Lord, teaching your kids, but learning together as iron sharpens iron, Lord. And so I thank you also for all the mothers, Lord, that are the glue that keeps the family together, Father, Lord. And so we just ask Jesus, Lord, that this homeschool community community would know, Father, that nothing is impossible, that you are the great I am, and that you, Father, Lord, would lead each one of these kids for their purpose, Lord. Everybody has a different destiny, Lord. Everybody has their own unique story. And, Father, may they just live life without fear and live in faith, Lord. And we love you. And, Lord, I thank you for Carol, for everything that she has done faithfully teaching and showing us lord that lord anything is possible lord if we just commit to it lord and commit everything to you and see what you want to do in our lives lord and so we thank you we love you and we praise you in jesus name amen Amen. don't you love hearing david's story if you enjoyed this episode check out episodes 57 and 63 where carol interviews david's sons vidal and luciano Thank you for joining us this week for the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. Be sure to tune in next time when we help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings.